It is really good to see you guys this rainy Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, we still got some kids in the room. I'm excited about that. Here's my question for you guys. How many of you guys still have some school left? Kids, anybody have school left? How many of you guys are those poor, poor Calhoun children in the back with their hands up? How many of you guys are finished with your school year? Anybody? Raise your hand. Can we just applaud the end of a very difficult year? Moms and dads, when you sent those gift cards to teachers this year, I'm sure they were five times as much as they usually are. So um, we at the Poe House did a little bit of schooling ourselves as we graded our kids' work. Uh, for whatever reason, I have been deemed the one who grades mathematics. And I don't love that because I can't count. <laughs> but the school that my kids... There wasn't enough laughter in that. Uh, there, there was, the school that my kids go to, they go two days a week and then they're at home three days a week. And they will, the teacher, the Miss Patton, will email the answers to you and it's just sheets from her teacher's book and you can look and you can see if your kid got the question right and if your kid got the question wrong and honestly about 75% of the time I need her sheets but occasionally just occasionally I will come to places where I look and I oh I know the answers to these and what I've realized is those times are few and far between but it's usually things like greater than and, and less than I, because I learned the alligator when I was a kid. Anybody else learn it through alligators? So, yes, all right. Uh, so, when we look into Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we see this. This is kind of what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the, the preacher Solomon, uses to talk about wisdom. So, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We went through six chapters of it. Then quarantine happened, but we were already going to spend some time in John 17. We're back in Ecclesiastes today. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, that's okay. It's in the Old Testament. The beauty of you looking at your Bible on your phone is you don't even have to know where pages are. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let me read the first 14 verses of that. And we're going to look at this greater than concept that Solomon gives us. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says this, A good name is better than or greater than fine perfume. And the days of one's death is better than the days of one than the day of one's birth. It, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind. And living should take it to heart and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This, too, is futile or it's vanity. Surely the practice of extortions turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the hearts of fools. 
Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God. For who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In in the days of prosperity, be joyful. But in the days of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that no one can discover anything that will come after him. Now I know Jared prayed before we preached, but we're about to dive into a pretty thick teaching on the backside of a pretty difficult week. So I'm just going to ask for you to go into prayer with me again. And we're going to trust that God's going to speak to us as his people, faithful people today. God, we love you. Uh, And I love these people that you have given me. That you've given me the opportunity to pastor. That you've given Jared the opportunity to pastor. That you've given our elders the opportunity to shepherd. And God, right now, I pray over us that as we look at your word, that your word will do things in our hearts that we did not expect it to do when we walked in here. God, I pray for every family represented. I pray for... I pray for the families that they come from. God, God, I pray in a difficult time that you will teach us more and more about what it means to belong to you. And that we will live as if we know you and have been changed by you. We ask all of this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. And everybody gets to say, Amen. Remember, we're dealing with with Grandpa Solomon here. He's on the backside of his life. He's looking back. And this man, the wealthiest man in the history of wealthy men... Uh, a person that we would look at and, and he would say about our nicest possessions, that's great value. Like he would look at a BMW and say, oh, that's nice. Mine, I have tanks, just tanks that I drive everywhere. Solomon is the wealthiest man in history. He has new, had numerous wives. And when I say numerous wives, I, I don't mean like when Jesus talks to the woman at the well about her multiple husbands, I'm talking he had thousands of wives. I, I, I can't keep up with one. He had thousands. So this is what Solomon deals with as you look at this text. And he's saying, when I look back at life, when I look back at everything that's happened, here is what I've come to, here is what I've realized, and I don't want you, the hearer, the recipient of this message, to walk through your life without knowing these very important truths. He says this, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of of one's birth. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. As we look at these first four verses, what we're going to see is that wisdom faces reality. And Solomon is going to call us, as we look at life, to face our own realities. To look at what life is and why life is that. A good name is better than a fine perfume. 
This is not an exhaustive list, but as the writer deals with the issues of his day, he knows that people did not smell well, and if you were going to live in that world and be accepted, you needed to cover yourself with something. And we know what it means to cover ourselves. Me, I was child of the late 80s, early 90s. I was a child who owned multiple bottles of polo cologne. Anybody else in the room? Uh, for you, you may not be a polo person. I do know that on the, the girls that I went to high school with, they did not wear polo cologne, thankfully. Most of them just lathered in Bath and Body Works, and it was just working everywhere they went. It smelled like a fruit basket had flipped upside down in the halls of Eastridge High School. And I know that for some of us, we were more Axe body spray people, and I apologize that you were that generation. Uh, I know that we know what it means to cover ourselves. Solomon's not just talking about that, though. He's referencing the idea of something that covers your situation. Now, we don't just cover ourselves with ointments and perfumes and sprays. As a matter of fact, we cover ourselves with the things that we buy. We cover ourselves with the way that we buy them. We cover ourselves with the way that we dress and, and the things that we dress ourselves in. We cover ourselves with the things that we wear. We cover ourselves with the tech that we purchase. We love to be covering ourselves and to be putting on a show, an outward expression to those that we would come in contact with. And Solomon says this, me, the person who has had everything that you could ever have, when I look back at my life and I look back at my dealings and I look back at my encounters, here's what I see. I covered and covered and covered and I really wish at times I just would have stood by my name. Then my name would have been something that was received. He goes on, he says, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. These are hard words to hear as he calls us to face reality. Because in your youth, you are invincible and you feel immortal. But on the day of your death, friend, you are obviously mortal. All of us, on the day of our death, it is right there for anyone who sees you to see your mortality. One friend calls his series on Ecclesiastes, Living Life in Reverse. Solomon is saying to us, it is doing your best to tell others. Solomon is trying to say, this is where we missed it. He keeps talking about this idea of death and mourning. He's talking about how the idea of the end of our life should be a time where we look back and say, man, this, there were things that I missed. He says in verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Since that's the end of all mankind. And the living should take it to heart. Jeremy Taylor, Anglican theologian, says this, the sublimity of wisdom is to do those things living which are to be desired when dying. How many of us have ever considered that, wrestled with that, looking back at your life and saying, there were so many things that I missed. And the idea of us living wisely would be for us to seek after ways that honor God in this life while we're living it as opposed to wishing on the backside. Uh, Spurgeon, we, get, we quote him a lot around here. He says this, Let us then talk about preparing to die. It is the greatest thing that we have to do, and we have soon to do it. So let us talk and think about it. Why are these people telling us to consider death? Think about this. If you've been to a birthday party, raise your hand. 
Okay. If you have been to a funeral, raise your hand. So if you've been to these two things, you realize they have lots of things in common, but their contrasts are stark. If you go to a birthday party, it is a trivial affair. I have been to multiple birthday parties because I have four children, and that's all they do. They go to birthday parties. We, we go to a school that has 35 people, and I'm still going to thousands of birthday parties. We're considering homeschooling. If that doesn't work, we're outsourcing two of them. But when you look at this, we know that... I'm kidding. My wife's not even here today. Hopefully she won't watch. I know she won't watch. I'm kidding. So I know this. That though I've been to numerous birthday parties and eaten every variant of hot dog and every piece of cheap pizza imaginable in the entirety of Lake Jackson, I cannot remember a conversation that I've ever had But when you're at a funeral, on the day of mourning, it causes you to look at your life and to ask yourself hard questions. Live, and why you're choosing to live in that manner. Death has a harsh reality that birthday parties don't. Death, one one theologian says, is an enemy but is also an evangelist. Death is the great mentor for diligence, sobriety, love, generosity, reverence, and humility. Death forces the most profound questions to be asked, but mercilessly mocks those who sleep through its lessons. He goes on to say in verse 3, Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. This is talking about the idea of of grief and mourning. There's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. You've probably come across it, skipped through it in your devotional reading. We're not known for reading devotionally through Lamentations. Maybe you should try that. We see lamenting all over the Bible. The idea of weeping and hurting. We see the idea of pain. One third of the Psalms are the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. The book of Lamentations is about taking our tears, though, to a God that we trust. Jesus lamented in the last days of his life. Lamenting is not just about us crying and weeping and, and tearing up. It's about who we take those tears to. And God would have us to take our tears to him. Solomon goes on to say this, The heart of the wise is a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is a house of pleasure. Why does he keep drilling in the idea that mourning should matter to us? Why does he keep telling us that our lives in this world should be filled with mourning? Because he wants us to consider all of life's realities. This Presbyterian theologian named Zach S. Wine wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes, and he says this Wisdom did not use sad things to avoid life, wisdom uses sad things to learn life. The preacher does not say that it's better to be sad, he says that it's better to engage sadness and to take to heart what it has to teach us who live. 
We should be learning from life's difficulties and not overlooking them, sidestepping them, ignoring them, trying to find anything that we can to cover up the fact that pain is there. Because we live in a world that is full of pain, overwhelmed by pain, that is groaning, groaning in pain, calling for someone to set captives free, to give hope to those who are hopeless. We see this passage taking us to the idea of what mortality actually is and saying, look at your life through this lens because that's all of us. Verse 5 five and 6 teaches this. Not only does wisdom cause us to face reality, wisdom owns failure. Look in 5 and 6. It is better to listen to the rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. So we just did this series called One Hit Wonders and all the songs were dumb. I look back at all the songs and they were dumb. And they get caught in your head and they're catchy because that's what caught in your head means. But... We also know that though they get caught in your head, there are just times they are meaningless. If you don't know what a meaningless song is, just Google Kid Rock lyrics. <laughs> it's better to listen to the rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. Psalm is saying that you and I need someone in our lives who loves you. But is not afraid of you. And I don't think most of us set ourselves up for that person to be there. Someone who says the hard things to you. And he literally goes to the point where he says, verse 6, For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. If you do not have someone in your life who can speak hard truths to you and how you deal with your situations, you have set yourself on fire and you're telling everyone you're going to the barbecue. There is a reality that comes when we would look at our failures and see why they're there. I, we, we just dealt with... Five weeks of monoculture. If you are a sports fan, you know who Michael Jordan is. If you exist on earth, you know who Michael Jordan is. The greatest basketball player who, who's ever lived. Uh, they did. A, that's true. That's, that's fact. If you want to argue about that, you're dumb. But <laughs> I'm kidding. Just kind of dumb. So... Uh, Michael Jordan talks about failure. One of my favorite commercials, he's like walking away. And as he walks away, you just got his voice saying things in the background. He's got that super cool voice like, oh, that's Michael Jordan talking. He could, Michael Jordan could read the dictionary or the phone book or whatever you do at your engineer jobs to me. And I'd be like, I am all about it. Hit the jumper. He says this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. This was a Nike commercial. I don't think he just said this to his cousin or something. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games 26 times. I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and I've missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life and that is why I succeed. Failure teaches us. One dear friend says this about failure. He says failure will define you or it will refine you. We will live in our failure and not even realize they are there or we will see that those things happen. Those every 
every time we trip, every time we fall down, every time we stumble, those things are there to make us more like Jesus. For those of us who are in Jesus, those things should make you more like Him. And if they are not making you more like Jesus, I wonder if you're really seeking after Him. Wisdom does not only deal and own failure. Wisdom despises extortion. Verse 7, Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and bribes, and a bribe corrupts the mind. So as the Solomon talks, looking back at his life, the life of a man who's made lots and lots of money, I love money, lots and lots of money. When he looks back at that, he sees that he has taken advantage possibly. And he has made mistakes because he is pointing out his own failures. I listened to a podcast by Michael Lewis. He wrote the book, The Blind Side. You've, you've probably seen the movie with Sandra Bullock, if we're being honest. And in this, he talks about telemarketers, some. And telemarketers, some of them, especially those who are in the student loan division, where they're going to take advantage of the masses if possible. They are given the direction that their phone call should last no longer than seven minutes. That should be the maximum amount of your phone call. But that's not the time that you talk to the person or have an interaction with them. Your conversation with them, uh, that seven minutes includes when you go through the whole deal and you let them know that the phone call is being recorded, that's at least 30 seconds of the call. They also, uh, he lets you know as he talks about this industry, how when they put you on hold, that's part of the call. That's part of the seven minutes. And those who have learned to master the art of dealing with the person they're interacting with, they can get off the phone in seven minutes and those who do it the best get raises. What an atrocity. And Solomon says this, all of this is problematic. All of this is a problem. And I would say this to any of us in this room who have influence, which is all of us in some sense. If you have influence of any kind, I want you to do this. I want you to seek guardrails and checkpoints in your life as I seek to do so in mine so that you don't take advantage of other people. Have someone who checks and balances you. Think about the words of Jesus as He speaks to us about what we should be seeking after, what we should be searching for. Think about the words of Paul when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and look at this and ask yourself, am I seeking after that? Because if we're not seeking after those things, we're seeking after ourselves and that leads you down a dead-end damnable road. Wisdom hates extortion. We also see that wisdom perseveres patiently. Verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry. For anger abides in the heart of fools. We need to see our anger for what it is. Folly, immaturity, arrogance, mistrust of God. Proverbs 12, 16 says this, and we're quoting Proverbs, Solomon wrote those two. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Proverbs 14, 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The patient in spirit, to be patient in spirit, is better than to be proud. 
The word proud that he uses here, he means the, the high in spirit. A friend points out that's an interesting concept because he's saying in order to see something through to the end, it requires you to be patient, you to be humble, and prideful people are not patient nor are they humble. You're one or the other. You can't be both. It's the idea of putting something together. You can't, step, you can't skip steps. You need to follow instructions. A plus B plus C. That's why I have so many screws and nails at my house. And I worry about my children when they ride the rides that I put together. The same is true for every one of us. God is making us into the image of Jesus. And at the end, your life should be more like Jesus than it was when you started. Do you look more like... I don't know when you met Jesus. Do you remember when you met Jesus? If you remember when you met Jesus, just tell me. Now, aloud. This is the fun part about dealing with introverts and... Reformed people, we just, not all of y'all are reformed, that's cool. Uh, but we just like to not say words out loud. Uh, do this for me. Say, if you are a follower of Jesus, when you trusted in Jesus. One, two, three, go. Do you look more like Jesus now than you did then? I hope so. I hope so for me. Will we look more like Jesus in three months than we do now? Because the process is the point. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a big Bible word. Being more like Jesus. Not only do we learn this, we learn that in verse 10 that wisdom looks forward. Wisdom doesn't look back. Verse 10, don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. There's a word that we use as Americans who like to talk about the good old days of black and white TV when we had to wait for shows to come on. Nostalgia comes from two words. Return home and pain. Return home and pain. The idea of being nostalgic is tied to a connection to some odd pain. The things that we are nostalgic for. We started watching a movie from the 70s with our kids the other day. It was rated PG. And since we're parents who like to guide them, we thought, we'll do this. (laughs) 70s, cowboys, John Wayne, children. It went bad quick. Ten minutes in. They had said things about race and gender that I would never allow my children to say. And I'm embarrassed that I guided them poorly in that way. Embarrassed. Pulled the DVD out or Blu-ray or whatever it was. Friends, the good old days haven't happened yet. And if we're longing for something in the past, that means we're missing what God may have for us in the now and not even thinking about the future. Do we realize that the good old days that we talk about are a world where I could not share a water fountain with some of the people in this room? That's godless. And we as the people of Jesus should seek after lives and interactions that honor Him 
And there maybe, just maybe, needs to be a time in our heart and a place where we pause and stop asking the whatabouts and the yeah buts when it looks like the world is exploding. And say to that, Jesus, what would you have me to see? What would you have me to hear? How would you have me to listen? What would you have me to learn? How should I posture myself in this? If I'm going to be like you and seek after you. We have to seek to be God's people in a world that is obviously in the throes of darkness. Life has has to matter to us. People have to matter to us. Because we claim to belong to a reconciler. Jesus goes, or Solomon rather. Jesus talked about it a lot too. Jesus goes, or what Solomon says in verse 11. Speaks of money. And he continues, wisdom is... As good an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Money can do lots of amazing things. Money can pay off debt. Money can buy fun things. Money can take care of Things that need to be taken care of. Money is not a bad thing. Money is a neutral thing that we flip bad. But Solomon says that it's, there is something that is better for you. Because honestly, he's saying that wisdom should be something that we have because it's going to sustain us. It does not just have effect in this life. It carries us to the next because wisdom matters. Finally, what we see is this, verse 13 and 14, that wisdom seeks after Jesus. Wisdom seeks after Jesus. I go to uh, uh, Brazoria College. No, I'm not a student there, non-traditional. Uh, I'm not a student at Brazoria College, but I do go to that trail. And I, uh, at the beginning of the quarantine where they told me I couldn't go anywhere, I said, I'll show you. I'll go walk the trail every day. I'll go exercise. Boom. So I start... <laughs> As you can see, I'm doing great. Uh, but I, I go to the trail, and I just started walking three miles a day. I started meeting old people. I've also realized that older people don't own headphones. They just carry their phone by their ear like it's a boom box. <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> Look at that. Hey, uh, it's like the 80s. Uh, so wait for everybody to break dance. But... So I go to this trail. And there, there's a place, though, that I think is funny to look at. It, it's this bleacher. I've got a picture of the bleacher. I, I think that my friend Scott's going to show. Think, see, there's a bleacher there. and The bleacher ain't doing squat. What do you want to watch? Well, the vine. But when you back up a little bit, you can see that the bleacher, there's a field beyond it. If you back up even more, you can see that that sort of kind of supposed to be an intramural field. But when you Google it on the Googler, it will show you that that area is a softball field, or was. But if we were to go to the groundskeeper there, the guy who keeps the grounds, that's what groundskeepers do. He could tell you not only what's there, he can tell you that everything that's around there 
he can tell you the different critters that are there. And I run into them. There's this feral raccoon that gets mad at me every morning. Then I run away from him, a raccoon. He can tell you that there are coral snakes there, but I keep running into those. He can tell you about the non-venomous snakes that are there. He can tell you everything that's there. The further you back up, the more you can see what's really there, especially if you're in the know. Wisdom is not the ultimate goal. Wisdom is to help us see who actually is. And wisdom seeks after Jesus. Look at these verses. Consider the work of God. Who can straighten it out? What he has made, who can straighten out what he has made crooked? This doesn't mean that God is corrupt, but it means that the world is broken. And, and we're not going to figure this out or fix this, and you're definitely not going to tweet about it, and there's no social media feed that you're going to follow or no news that you're going to watch. This is, this is the right thing to think about this. He says, in the days of prosperity, be joyful. But in the days of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that no one can discover anything that will come after him. We've got this weird tendency when it comes to God and considering the things of God and looking for God in places, we want to see him in the thunder. Because who doesn't like thunder? Just, it's obvious, it's bold. Oh, there's thunder that probably is attached to lightning. But we hear stories in the Old Testament where God says to one of the prophets, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice. You have an earthquake and thunder and fire. But God's in the whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. That's why Jesus says to us that the kingdom of heaven is not all riding on white horses ready to go to war. The kingdom of heaven is like throwing a seed on the ground. The kingdom of heaven is a pearl buried in the middle of a field. We want to over-spiritualize everything. And all of these things Solomon is telling us to look beyond our situation because Jesus talks about people looking beyond their situation. The Old Testament is full of people looking beyond their situation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, The men of Nineveh heard of them. Jonah, that fish. Well, depending upon your translation. The men of Nineveh stand, will stand up at the judgment with this generation. They will condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. But let's go beyond Jonah. We like Jonah. You know the fish story. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and she will condemn it. But she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon who we've just talked about for 14 verses. And Jesus says this, look, something greater than Solomon is here. Wisdom faces reality. We talked about that. Jesus tells us in this world we are going to have many troubles. That's reality. 
Wisdom owns failure. Jesus tells us the world was condemned already and he came to save it. Wisdom despises oppression. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. He came to proclaim and release the captives. He came to give the blind sight. He came to free the oppressed. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wisdom perseveres patiently. Jesus regularly shows his followers patience furthermore he is God's love in the flesh and we know that the love of God is patient wisdom looks forward that's why we pray every single week God we want your kingdom to come wisdom seeks Jesus and Jesus says if you have seen me you have seen the father so we can choose to be people who live like fools while we put on a facade of wisdom or we can chase after Jesus and quit letting Twitter and CNN and Fox News and MSNBC well you don't watch that we're going I know you I I know my people (laughs) quit letting everything but Jesus tell us how to live like Jesus chase him Pursue Him. Seek Him. Find Him. Because when you seek Him, you'll find Him. He's there. He promises us that. So we can choose to let our faith be dogma, which is a bunch of truth that exists in the air. Or we can see that the faith we have in Jesus is about absolute devotion to a king and his kingdom. I want the latter, and I hope you do too. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, you are good to us. God, even in this room right now, there may be some who have never found you. And I pray they will trust you. Maybe for the first time. God, they would trust you and believe in you and find wholeness in you. Jesus, I pray that we would want to know you, that we would face reality, and that we would see that you tell us to. That we would want the things that you want, despising oppression. We would patiently persevere as your people. Lord Jesus, we just we believe you this morning. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I'd love to chat with you about that. I'll be over to the side of the room.